Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. My name is Dan Hughes, and with me today is Senior Portfolio Manager and CIO Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Dan. So, Chris, one of the themes we've talked about you know, on, on multiple occasions is the excess uh, in the equity markets within the U.S., particularly the, the excess liquidity. Uh, and, and a big part of that comes off the heels of you know, 10 years of, of QE, um, a huge reliance on, on monetary policy. Um, and you know, as we've seen, uh, you know, this consistent liquidity excess in the system, um, but now you know, we've talked about needing, the, uh, needing to begin to recess that liquidity. Um, and you know, given the, the ups and downs of the market of late, you know, have, you, have you begun to witness any evidence of this? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and that's spot on. Um, and it should be intuitive as much as we've talked about liquidity driving risk asset prices and their fundamentals dictating kind of their relative move within that, when you recess liquidity, it should show up in price. And that's exactly what we've seen, and we've seen it play out in multiple arenas, not just in the U.S. equity markets. Um, as, as you harken back to quantitative tightening when it began, and you can look back and look at that long kind of 10-year period leading into quantitative tightening beginning, and you can look at what was the excess. It wasn't too many units of housing. We didn't hire too many people. Uh, there wasn't too much... CapEx. Uh, it really was just the liquidity we provided the economy, not just in the U.S., but globally. And therefore, that is the excess that it begins to come out of the market. And so instead of recessing jobs and recessing home construction and recessing corporate CapEx, we're starting to recess liquidity. And this really did begin in the first quarter of 2018. And that's when we blew up those VIX ETFs. They heavily relied on liquidity. And as liquidity began to retreat, they kind of blew up first. Uh, we've seen this evidence with the capital controls that China has put in place. And as that forced the retention of liquidity inside China to deal with their imbalances, we've seen declines in luxury real estate around the world and, and major city centers. Um, you know, certainly we've seen it, even though equity markets have been flat uh, over the last 12 to 18 months, implied in that has been multiple compression and a lot of volatility beneath the surface. Um, we've even started to see it in the way that the Fed funds operates and the fact that the effective funds is above the interest on excess reserves. We're starting to see it in the fact that when you look at uh, global yield curves. They've been inverted for a long time. Uh, and then understanding kind of the reverberations of liquidity and economic activity, you can see that more than just prices coming down, unless we address kind of the, the lack of liquidity, it will start to have a real economic impact. And we've certainly already seen that in China, where because liquidity, they really took their credit expansion as far as they could. They created significant imbalances. Although they've cut the reserve requirements and they've boosted liquidity, it's been going into the regulated banking system while liquidity in the unregulated banking system has been coming down. So we haven't seen it make its way into the money supply. We we've seen it kind of stabilize China's situation, not necessarily boost economic growth. And they really have hit kind of the, the liquidity wall where adding a dollar of debt won't add a dollar of economic activity. So there's a long rebalancing that goes into China. And so the, the markets kind of interpreted this global slowdown as being trade tariff related, and that couldn't be further from the truth. It really is this rebalancing. And we've seen that because 
exports really haven't declined that much out of China. It's been the imports that have declined because of the lack of liquidity within China to support the level of growth and deal with the debt that they have outstanding. And to a lesser extent, that's true around the world. So that's a, that's a, a, a pretty lengthy list of, of signs of a liquidity recession, that's for sure. And you know, as, as we're thinking about this, um, you know, particularly as liquidity really does is, is the driver of markets, right? Um, do, you, do you think that this is why we've just experienced, you know, like you said, the market's been basically flat over the last 18 months, but we've seen a 20% drawdown. We were up 20% year to date. Um, is this why we're experiencing these, you know, not only just the more frequent swings, but just large movements? Absolutely. And, and it was specifically the cost of being able to hedge out dollar liquidity uh, at the end of the September 2018 quarter going into October that withdrew dollar liquidity out of the system caused the sell-off. If you need dollars and you need liquidity and they're not available at your friendly broker, friendly bank, or in the repo market, where do you get them? Well, you can always sell U.S. equities and grab dollars. You can convert those equities into dollars and use those dollars where it's necessary. And in and of itself, whether you need the dollars or if you're just a leveraged hedge strategy, you have to start de-risking as that volatility increases. Um, And certainly we saw the Fed and other central banks panic in December and injected liquidity back into the system that started to put a floor under stocks and immediately they began a recovery but we haven't seen that follow through into the real economy. And there's reasons for that. We're just at a position where after 10 years of extraordinary reliance globally on monetary policy, there's insufficient liquidity to maintain asset values globally, support existing and new economic activity, and fund the rising deficits that we're seeing here in the U.S. Something's going to have to change in order to make that a stable situation, either more liquidity, less deficits, which would cause a recession and, and and, and reduce economic activity, or lower asset prices. But again, that would also reduce economic activity as well. So, so one thing you touched on in, in your respi- reply there was, was the repo market, and, and that's been you know, all over the news of, over the course of the past week, um, and particularly with respect to the repo market, with the Fed stepping in, you know, do you actually ver- do, would you view that as a, as a bit of a version of QE? Um, and then can you run through um, in, yeah. in your in, you know, fairly briefly what, what took place in the repo market yeah, over the past a- week? Absolutely. Um, it's the best sign yet that we have a liquidity problem. And, you know, we've seen evidence of this over the last several months because of the relationship of the Fed funds to interest on excess reserves, along with the global curve inversions, whether it's the euro dollar market or briefly, you know, parts of, of the curve here in the U.S. And that's a sign that there's not enough liquidity in the system. And last week, or what we've been seen is, the Fed had to step in. Overnight liquidity wasn't sufficient to meet the needs of the market. We saw repo costs, general collateral repo costs, so being able to post your treasuries and 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 and, uh, and applicable mortgages was skyrocketing. And that's a very dangerous situation because although they call it overnight financing, for a lot of entities, it's just a permanent way to finance risk assets and other activities. Uh, The Fed had to step in, provide what I would call emergency liquidity. They would call it tweaks. These are temporary open market operations, uh, but they act and function very similarly as if they were permanent open market operations. And in that sense, it is QE. Now, the Fed will tell you and others will tell you, oh, don't worry. Things get out of balance. 
Uh, it's not a big deal. It was, you know, tax tax payments were due and people needed dollar liquidity. It really doesn't matter the reason, whether it was Saudi Arabia reaching for dollars or corporate tax payments or anything else. The point is there isn't sufficient dollar liquidity to meet all the needs that are out there. And just because you get at a higher stress point when things finally break doesn't make, make it temporary. It's a, it absolutely highlights the shortage and it brings us to the typical fork in the road that all central banks come to when they've relied too much on monetary printing, which is you can either control the price of money or the quantity of money. And I think we know what they're going to choose. Right. And, and just you know, to be clear on that, you can control the price of money via your interest rate or you can control the, qu- the quantity of money via printing. Correct. Um, and it looks to me at this point they're, they're going to go down the, the latter road there. And, and, and they, They've certainly chosen that for the last 48 hours. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me if you listen to the Powell press conference, uh, you know, You either have to step away and say, oh, well, none of the signs in the credit markets function anymore. As an investor, you can't interpret breakdowns in credit spreads and inverted curves. They're meaningless. Or you have to say, which would imply there's no liquidity shortage, or you'd have to imply that Powell himself and the rest of the Fed is oblivious to the shortages uh, both of those two assumptions, I would assume, are not true. So why do they seem to be so sanguine? And I think it may have more to do with political pressures and a way of pushing back against Trump and others and saying, no, you know, we're, this is going to be uh, more friction between U.S. deficit spending and monetary policy. And so how does that line up for, for longer-term expectations, right? So there's, there's a lot of noise in, in the short term. There's a lot of noise in the last, last week, right? This is, yep. this is impacting in real time. But you know, what does that break for the broader markets, and what does that look like for the, you know, the short to midterm here? Yeah, no, that's absolutely spot on the question we need to be dealing with because as we've talked about in the past, to, you know, to make money in risk assets, it's a convergence of two things. It's what's going on with the underlying economic fundamentals and the earnings power of businesses in conjunction, what's going on with liquidity such that we can expect either multiple expansion, contraction, support, or headwinds to those elements as we look to value assets and the market kind of moves forward either in an upward trajectory or lower. And when you line them up, let's separate the two. Liquidity is still an issue. Even though we've seen a change in tone out of the Fed, even though we've seen reserve rate requirements come down in China, Uh, it's still an issue out there. Liquidity is not in excess, so it's not making its way into risk assets to boost values. And so we can set that to a side and go, you know, the suspicion is, given the repo activity this week, that we are kind of entering more acute era. And over the short term, we may see QE4 start to ramp up. We may call it something different, but that's effectively what it would be. And then let's look at the underlying economic activity. The, there's more stability within European services. The drawdowns we've seen within European autos will slowly ease and reverse themselves because those are emission-related. The same can be said for China, although the recovery won't be quite as great because we've built out kind of a used car market in that environment, and there's other challenges ongoing. The slowdown we've seen in India is due to a retraction of credit that needed to retract. So that won't recover quite as quickly. And then we've seen the pressure within energy markets, and we've already started to lay down and reduce production activity, which will ultimately set the stage for a recovery. But what it means is globally, 
manufacturing activity is still slowing down. We see that across multiple sectors over the near term. That's going to continue to happen in the U.S. specifically. We would expect that to start to show up in the employment data within the manufacturing sector. When we turn to the services side, though, it's a different story. We're seeing better stability within Europe. While we're in a manufacturing recessions in pockets of Europe and around the world, services, that's not the case. Services typically lags manufacturing, so we do need to see stability in the near term. And if, and if we don't, and we combine that with further dollar liquidity tightening, we'll see a slowdown in services as well. But as it stands right now it, for the U.S., it's still kind of a muddle-through situation, but we do need to see st stabilization very soon. Otherwise, I would expect us to start kind of entering that vulnerable uh, window where we could have a recession with just a minor shock. But we're not there yet. Right. So, I mean, we're, we're at a port pretty important point here at, at, this, uh, at this juncture. Um, and, to, you know, to, to avoid that type of recession, would you think that the increased liquidity that could be provided from the Fed would be enough to skate us through and allow, you know, let's just say manufacturing to turn around and jobs to stabilize? Yeah. And, and would this be a, a period where, you know, what, what's a potential slowdown uh, could help and reaccelerate? Which, yeah. is, that a, is that a potential? I would, I would say it's necessary, but not sufficient. And the reason I would say that is we need the liquidity so that we don't uh, put any more uncertainty in the market. We don't re reduce CapEx. We don't pressure valuations because that just widens the uncertainty. At the same time, a lot of the manufacturing slowdown has absolutely nothing to do with tariffs in a trade war, although it's emanating out of China. China was in an economic bubble. They are, appropriately so, restructuring internally, repositioning where capital is internally, and in so doing, their imports from others are falling at a fairly dramatic rate. That's not going to recover soon, if at all. That's just letting the air out of, uh, of excess economic activity. So that is a recession in that manufacturing space, and I wouldn't expect a V-shaped recovery from that. But there's no question we're going to need more dollar liquidity if for no other reason we've got to fund these U.S. deficits. U.S. deficits are at what I would consider kind of wartime levels, and at the same time, GDP activity is slowing down, and those deficits are exacerbating the dollar liquidity problem, and they're only set to increase. So somebody's got to step up and fund those deficits. If it's left to the private sector, it can be done, but it'll be done at the expense of other asset prices or other economic activity, which is why ultimately I think the Fed steps in and, and monetizes the U.S. deficit. All right, Chris, the last question I have for you today is looking out at Q3 earnings. Um, given what we've discussed today, what are, uh, what are your expectations? Yeah, uh, not, not high expectations. Uh, we've been surprised at some of the early warnings we've seen already out of companies. Um, not so much FedEx. That was you know, a fairly uh, good lead on what to expect. Maybe the magnitude might have caught markets by surprise. But the reality is we've seen companies warn well ahead a quarter in, which is a bit unusual because a lot of these companies will kind of back end load the quarter. So clearly they're seeing weakness out there. My guess is they want to get out ahead of it and make the announcements. And then the uh, management and directors and officers can sell shares uh, and get out before there's a correction underway. 
I do expect liquidity to tighten up near term, so I think that's going to be a challenge for markets. This run-up into the first half of September has more to do with positioning and option expiration, and we'll know more next week going into kind of the, the final 10 days of, of the uh, calendar for the quarter. I expect markets could easily sell off as that option uh, positions are being unwound. At the same time, I would expect very weak third quarter earnings. I'm sure we'll, quote, exceed whatever lowered expectations we have right before they announce. I expect very modest uh, 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 guidance going into the fourth quarter. If anything, I would expect fourth quarter to come down lower. And where possible, I think companies are going to avoid giving 2020 guidance or they're going to caveat it with, here's our guidance for 2020, but it assumes things don't continue to deteriorate. If they do, then when we get into the fourth quarter, we're going to start to see, I think, layoff announcements because naturally there's going to have to be some cost cutting. Right. So we get we got to grind ahead. Yes. Well, good. Well, Chris, thank you. This is this is really terrific and, and very timely. I mean, this stuff is is, uh, is shaking out fairly quickly these days, and we certainly appreciate your real time response on it. And uh, we look forward to having you again here soon. You bet. Thanks. Thanks. The views, information and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson and, or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.